Wow, thank you all. Thank you so much. It's so good to be back at One Family. I'm a, I'm a little overwhelmed, actually, because you all do such a good job of welcoming us. Last night, I was, I was texting with Pastor, Pastor Brent and, and Brother Ron, and, and I said, you know, I love coming because you all make us feel like family. And Pastor Brent texts him back and says, you are family. Come on, man. Praise be to God. Shout out to Pastor Brent. Love you, man. Love everybody down at the Shaw campus. Can we give it up for them? As well as everybody from Stepping Into the Light Ministry, we love you brothers as well. And Eckerd Park Nursing Home, we love you guys. Thank you. Everybody joining us, we love you. Glad that you're with us. And it's a privilege to be a part of this summer speaker series. Can we give praise to God for the speakers that have already come? Praise God for Pastor Barry last week down at Shaw. Thank you, brother. And then Pastor Drew two weeks ago and Jackson at the beginning kicking it off. And then we get to hear from Brother Alejandro. I can't say it like you, but Alejandro. Next week. So praise be to God for that. I'm I'm trying, man. I'm not there yet. Well, if you have a a Bible, please open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll have that up on the screen also. You can turn in your your phone, your Bible, uh, whatever it is, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to be in verses 7 through 10. And I want to talk about the theme today, the power of weakness. The power of weakness. Now to set the context before I read, this is a church that Paul loves, and they love him, but, but they have a lot of beef a lot of times going back and forth with each other. And they tell Paul two of the worst things that you can ever say to a preacher. They say, you can't preach and you're not good looking. <laughs> and so you can imagine how he responds to that. But this is a church that's incredibly gifted, incredibly knowledgeable in all these things, and they're tempted to boast in those things. And, and what Paul does is he says, all right, I'm going to boast too, but it's going to be a little different than what you're used to. And that's where we come to. He's boasting in the power of weakness. So let's pick it up with verse 7, and I'll read through verse 10. Here now the reading of God's Word. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word. Let's go to God together in prayer. Father, we are just grateful for your word. We're thankful for how the worship team has led us already into your presence. And we continue in worship now in your presence around the word of God. 
Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here and all the places where we're gathered to watch together. We pray you continue to have your way in us. Help us understand these words that we read, but, but we don't just want to know it in our heads. We want to have it in our hearts and we want to walk it out in our lives. So we need you to do that. So we pray you'd fill us. You'd fill this place and that you'd move in a powerful way so that we're different people than we were when we came in. And all this we ask for your glory and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 About eight years ago, I was a part of a conference at Duke Divinity School in North Carolina, and it was a reconciliation conference, dealing with a lot of the things that we talk about here in terms of race and justice. And each morning at this conference, there's literally people from all over the world that are a part of this, about 100 100 ministers, leaders, pastors, whatever. Um, And each morning we would gather for worship. And they did a really ingenious thing, I think. They, They made this tree out of construction paper. It's about seven feet tall. And when you walked into the service that day on your chair, you would have these green leaves made of construction paper, and you would write down a prayer request. And then after the the service was over that morning, you went off to the next thing, you would come and put that leaf on the tree. It was called a prayer tree. And they had a prayer team that would go and take all the leaves off the tree, and they would pray for the things that day. It was really, it was a great idea. And so the first day was praise. Give just... List things that you just want to praise God for. You're thankful for who he is. And you wrote right that. And the second day was a day of lament. What are you lamenting in your heart? What are you grieving? What are you sorrowful about? Write that down and, and then put that on the tree. And then the third day, the day we're coming to is hope day. And they said, we want you to write down what you are hoping for. And I knew mine right away. I go and I wrote it down and I, and I put it up on the tree. And what I wrote down was, I want my wife to be able to walk every day. I want my wife to be able to walk every day. You see, about a year and a half before that, one morning, my wife wakes up and is not able to move her legs. It's just kind of random and we don't know what's going on. Next day, she's up and able to move. But, and then... It happens again about a week later, not able to move. We go to the hospital this time, and they can't find anything wrong. And this started to happen, and then it started to increase. From one day a week, it would happen to maybe two days a week. And so a year and a half later, right, we're at this conference, and now it's about three days a week, basically every other day. She's not able to walk, and we've been to all these different doctors. We can't figure out what it is. And so I wrote down my hope is that my wife would be able to walk every day. And then I don't know if you all ever do this, but when you're supposed to be thinking about something positive, you start thinking about stuff that could go wrong. Anybody else ever do that? And I, man, it's hope day. And, And I started thinking, well, what if it doesn't get better? What if she doesn't start walking every day? In fact, what if it gets worse? This is what I'm thinking in my mind, sitting there. What if it gets worse and worse and worse? What then? And, and the Lord brought this passage to mind. That's why this is personal for me. He brought this passage to mind and the, what we read in verse 9. That verse that says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm like, Lord, what if it doesn't get better? My grace is sufficient for you. Lord, what if it gets worse? My grace 
is sufficient for you. Lord, what if I don't have the strength or the bandwidth, the, the capacity to be able? My grace is sufficient for you. And a couple things that happened is actually what I feared did get worse. And it, over the years, it increased to four times and five. And finally, it was every day. And so this went on for another three years until we, we got a proper diagnosis and treatment. And she's walking every day now. Praise be to God. But in that time, God met us. His grace is sufficient for us. That's what we learn. And that's what Paul wanted his people to learn. The grace of God is what you need. It is enough. It is sufficient no matter what you're going through. And Paul is preaching to people. Some of them were prideful people. And so they need to be humbled and they need to understand that his grace is why they have what they have and, and why they are who they are. But then there are others that were struggling. They were struggling in their weakness. And maybe somebody's like that today. They came and you're thinking, God must not be with me. Because of, of what I'm going through, God must be against me. God must not be seeing me because of my weakness. I'm not going to be able to do what God's called me to do. And he comes to say, hold on. You need to see with me today that his grace is sufficient for you. Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. And because of that, brothers and sisters, we can embrace our weakness. We can embrace the power of weakness. And so what we want to look at today in the time that we have together is three areas of our lives that this impacts when we embrace this power of weakness. The first of them is our pride. The first is our pride. Let's go back to the verse. Verse 7 it says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. And then what does it say there? A thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, theologians have been talking all in all and since that time, trying to figure out what is Paul talking about? What does he mean by this thorn in the flesh? And some people say it's opposition against his preaching of the gospel. That's the thorn in the flesh he's talking about. Or, or maybe it's spiritual attack that he's going through, that's the thorn in the flesh. Or maybe it's a physical ailment that, that just won't go away, that, that won't get better. That's the thorn in the flesh. And I think it's good that he doesn't tell us exactly what it is. Because we go through all those things, don't we? Maybe some of you have come in today, you're feeling that opposition. You're trying to do everything that God has called you to do. And you feel like you keep running your head up against the wall. Maybe some of you are like we were, like what my wife was going through. You're going through this physical ailment day after day, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and it doesn't seem to get any better. Maybe it's spiritual attack that you're feeling inside you, and maybe it feels like it's on top of you. And you pray, and you pray, and you think this thing is going to destroy you, whatever it is. There is a thorn in the flesh, and Paul can identify. He's like, I need to get rid of this. Now, what's the source of the thorn in the flesh? And in the text, he implies there's two. One of them is obvious. You see there in the text, it says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, and then it says, a messenger of Satan. So obviously, it came from the evil one, a messenger of Satan to harass me. 
And that makes sense, right? Because what does he love to do? Steal and kill and destroy. Right? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he might devour. He's an accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God and accuses God before us. And so surely he's going to be attacking Paul. And surely he's attacking you. In whatever way that might be. And so Paul is saying that this thorn in the flesh is a messenger of Satan that's come to harass me. But that's only one of the sources that he gives here. There's another one that's implied and really is the ultimate source. Because there in the verse, it says a thorn was what? Given me. Well, given me by who? It was given me by God is what's implied. That's the ultimate source. The enemy is trying to destroy me with it, but he's saying it's given to me by God. Now you think, hold up, hold up, Pastor. I need to call Pastor Brent. You, we, hold on. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? What do you mean? Why in the world would God do that? Well, I don't know if you notice in that verse, it's really interesting. At the beginning of the verse, it says what? So to keep me from becoming conceited. And do you notice at the end of the verse, it says, this messenger is Satan to harass me to what? To keep me from becoming conceited. It's there at the beginning and it's there at the end. He's saying it's my pride. That's the reason why God is allowing this in my life because he wants to deal with my pride. Now, I know we don't have any pride, prideful people in here, but, but I am a prideful person. And so maybe y'all can just imagine you can identify with me. Just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I and our oldest son were driving to Baltimore, where we're from, and we left really early in the morning, and then we stopped for breakfast at IHOP, and they gave us, yes, IHOP, praise be to God. <laughs> Lord have mercy. He is, he is good, and his mercy is endure forever. And so I look at the menu, and I saw one of the most horrible things I've ever seen. I looked at the senior menu. And it said 55 plus. I'm like, I'm 55. I'm like, I'm not ordering off of this menu. Now, y'all, I, I look and the same thing that I ordered, it's on the senior menu, $4 less. But I'm like, I'm not ordering off of this. I'm not taking no senior discount. I insist on paying full price. I might pay a little bit extra. You're going to get this money today. Y'all, does that make any sense at all? I'm going to pay $4 more because I'm too prideful to order off the menu. Now, that's a silly, goofy example, right? But if I'm being really honest about my own life, and maybe somebody can identify, oh, there's times when our pride has cost us a whole lot more than $4. It's cost us relationships. It's cost us opportunities. It's cost us opportunities to grow in Christ because of our pride. And that's what Paul is saying right here. He was praying and pleading with God to take away the thorn in the flesh. And what he's saying is he realized 
is the thorn in the flesh is not as great a threat to him as is his pride. His pride is a greater threat to his soul than whatever that thorn in the flesh was. And that same thing is true for us. Our pride is a greater threat to us than all those things that we're pleading for that that oppose us. And so we see here that this first area that this impacts is our pride. Where is this impacting you today? Where are the places where you're tempted to become prideful? As I look out here and I imagine down at Shaw Campus, I say, man, y'all some good-looking folks. Lord, have mercy. Successful, godly, amazing people. But surely there is a temptation to be able to say, we did that. It came from us. And to forget that everything that we have comes from the hand of Almighty God. You didn't get that brain on your own. God gave it to you. You didn't have that strength on your own. God supplied it. It all came from Him. And so there's a temptation for us. Where are you tempted? To be prideful. And let me ask you, where is your thorn in the flesh today? Maybe it's outward attack. Maybe it's spiritual attack. Maybe it's physical. What is it for you? And you say, Pastor, I got some in mind, but what do I do with it? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that takes us to the second point. The second area that we see is not just our pride, but the second area that this impacts when we embrace our weakness is our prayer. It impacts our prayer. Where do we take those thorns in the flesh? Where did Paul take them? To God. Right where he should. Look at verse 8. He says three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. It's, and it's not talking about just three prayer times. It's talking about these three intense seasons of prayer where he's pleading with God. And that word that's translated pleading there, it's like when people came up to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, my, my daughter's sick. She's about to die. I plead with you. Come and heal her. It's that kind of intensity. He's pleading with the Lord that God would take this away. And, he's, and, and that's exactly what he should do. And that's exactly what we should do in bringing these things before God. But you know what's also implied in that verse? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. What's implied is at some point it stopped. Right? Why didn't it say, I'm, I, keep on, I keep on pleading with the Lord? At, at some point, it seems that he got an answer. And the answer from God that he got was no. I'm not going to take it away. Why not? Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, I'm not going to take away that thorn in your flesh right now. Because I want you to understand. That my grace is sufficient. That means my grace is enough. My grace is what you need. And what he gave him in this case was not what we might call healing grace, but what he gave him was what we might call grace to endure. That's what he gave him. There's a book by uh, Vanitha Risner that's called The Scars That Shaped Me. 
The Scars That Shaped Me, wonderful book. And she's describing a lot of her own powerful story. But one of the things she does is she talks about grace in a couple senses. She says, sometimes what God gives us is what we might call spectacular grace. Right? That's like Pastor Barry preached about David and Goliath last week. Or the the walls of Jericho falling. Or the Red Sea parting. And God delivers in some miraculous way. Maybe some of y'all got a testimony in here about how God showed up in a spectacular way to deliver you. And, And praise be to God for when he's given us that spectacular grace. But then she said, sometimes, and maybe more often than not, what God gives us is not what we call spectacular grace, but instead sustaining grace. It's enough grace to make it to the end of the day. Where you say, Lord, I don't know how you did it, but you did it, and I'm at the end of the day. Thank you for getting me through today. I don't know how I'm going to get through tomorrow, but I'll be back. And the Lord says, so will I. Come on back. Sustaining grace. Alejandro just mentioned about the Lord's prayer and how important it is to realize the address of that prayer. How does it start? It starts with what? Our Father. It starts with our Father. And that guides all the rest of the prayer. And so we're praying about, when we're praying about your kingdom come, your will be done, we're praying to our Father to ask that. When we're saying, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking our Father for those things. When we're saying, lead me not in temptation, we're coming to our loving, heavenly Father and asking that he would not do that. I love when Jesus is talking with the disciples about prayer, and he says, which of you, if your son asks you for a fish, will give you a snake? Or if he asks you for an egg, we'll give you a scorpion. And then Jesus, pastor, he says something really cold after that. He says, even though you being evil, like that's kind of cold, Jesus. But even though you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, oh, how much more will your father in heaven, and in one place he says, give good gifts to his children. And Luke, he says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's our Father, who we come and we pray and we plead with, that's the one we plead that he would bring us his grace. Amazing what Paul models for us, right? Because this is this great balance of pleading before a lovingly, loving Heavenly Father, but also submitting to a sovereign Lord. God said, I'm not going to take it away. And he said, okay, I got you. Because I needed to learn that your grace is sufficient for me. Now, I want to encourage you that the Apostle Paul, he had to go through a process to realize this. He didn't get that at first. And maybe you're in the middle of a process right now where you're pleading and pleading and pleading with God. And you should, we should plead with God for these things. But I wonder, is God giving you spectacular grace? where he's going to take that thing away in a miraculous way right now? Or is what God giving you rather sustaining grace? He's giving you enough to make it to the next day. And then when you come back the next morning, he'll give you enough to make it through that day. And then he'll give you more. What are you coming in need of? What are you pleading with God for today? And what are you coming in need of? And lastly, let me ask you this. 
when we come, what's our posture? Are we coming before a gracious heavenly father, right? A beloved child. Or are we, are we coming as a cynic or a skeptic? Or are we coming as an employee? You need to give me what you owe me, God. Viewing God as a taskmaster who's just supposed to give us whatever we deserve. Or again, are we coming before a loving father who knows what's best for us? And even if we don't understand what's going on, we know that he's good and his mercy endures forever. And so even though we might not understand it right now, we can trust him because he's good. So this impacts when we embrace our weakness. Not only does it impact our pride, it also impacts our prayer. Lastly, we want to look at how it impacts our power. How does it impact our power. Great lesson here between God's power and our power, or really our lack thereof, our weakness. What does he say in verse 9 again? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. And that means brought to completion. It's, it's finished. It's enough. God's power plus our weakness equals enough. Now, frankly, God's power is enough by itself, right? He doesn't need anything else. What, what do we say? He's God all by himself, right? And so his power plus anything else equals enough. One of my favorite stories where this comes clear is remember when Jesus is teaching and thousands of people are there and, and, the, and the, it's late and the people are hungry and disciples are like, man, Jesus, you should dismiss them, right? They need to go down to the loop and, and get something to eat before they come back, right? And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, what? What you talking about, man? If we, had, we worked every day for a year, we wouldn't have what's sufficient, same word. We wouldn't have what's sufficient to be able to feed all these people. Jesus said, bring me what you have. Five loaves and two fish that they took from somebody else. They, didn't, they took it from a little boy. That's a trip. And they say, here you go, Jesus. And Jesus takes that and he feeds at least 5,000. That wasn't even including the women and the children. And it's so much that they have leftovers. And the guy, he sends the guys to go collect the leftovers. How many disciples are there? Twelve. How many basketfuls of food are left over? Twelve. So each one of those brothers gets to see firsthand that God's power plus our weakness, that's enough. That's all that we need. That is sufficient. So how does Paul apply this? You see there in the text, it says, therefore, here's what I'm going to do. I will boast. Remember, they were fond of boasting and they would boast in good stuff. That's what I boast in. Usually you boast in good stuff and you cover up the weaknesses, right? But Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my what? Of my weaknesses. And then go to verse 10 really quick. It says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content. I'm all right with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, oh, then I am strong. Paul's saying, you guys want to boast about your gifts and your talents and your abilities and all those things. I'm going to boast about my inability. 
I'm going to boast about my weakness. Because there you can see more and more the power of God. And so that's what I will boast in. And that's what he does. If you read through 2 Corinthians, he's like, and, and it's in a song, he's like, I'm crushed. Or I'm, I'm, what do you say? I'm afflicted, but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. I've been struck down, but I'm not destroyed. It's all right. I'm still going to be going on. If you go to that next slide, Paul starts to boast in some things. The next word, they, thank you. It says, are they servants of Christ? This is in the chapter right before ours. He says, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. And usually they would boast about their accomplishments. But what does Paul boast in? He says, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of, G of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and day adrift at sea. Do you get the point of what he's boasting in? He's boasting in the things that show his weakness, but God's power. And so I, I'm challenged by that. What are we boasting? What are we boasting in? What are we putting forward to say, look at this? He shows us so that we can do that with our weaknesses. Your weaknesses are not things that disqualify you from ministry. In, in this passage, would say that qualifies you because God's power can be seen more clearly through those weaknesses. So what's his motivation through all of that? If you go back to verse 9, why is he going to do that? Because it's so much fun being stoned and shipwrecked and all of that? No. Why does he do that? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then put up verse 10 real quick. Beginning of verse 10, he says, for the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses. Do you see that? He says, if I get more Jesus, you can give me all that stuff. He says, I'll be all right with the calamities. I'll be all right with the weaknesses. If I get more of Jesus, then I'm going to be okay. Give me Jesus and you can have everything else in this world. In the morning when I rise, when I all am all alone, at the end of my life, give me Jesus. And then I'll be all right. Oh, maybe there's somebody here that can testify. All I need is Jesus. He's the God of the mountain and he's the God of the valley. He's the one that turns graves into gardens. We just sang that. He turns bones into armies. He turns seas into highways. He turned my mourning into dancing. Is there anybody here that is glad to say, give me Jesus and I'll take everything else? And you say, Pastor, that's easy for Paul. But what about me? What about my struggle? What about what I'm going through, Pastor? It's easy for Paul. Well, we look to the same one that Paul was looking to. Because Paul was saying, hold on, you want to look down on me because of my weaknesses and sufferings. But don't you understand that to reject me is to reject Jesus Christ. Because our salvation has come through his weakness and suffering. 
You want to talk about pride, let's talk about him. He didn't have any pride. But he gave his life for those of us that are proud. Even though being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he made himself nothing to die for our pride. Oh, you want to plead with God? He also pleaded with God three times and was told no. And says, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, he was crucified in weakness. Oh, but he lives by the power of God. And so embrace the power of weakness today. Embrace it with our eyes, our hearts, our lives fixed on Jesus Christ. Let us do so so that he humbles our pride. He emboldens our prayers. And he supplies us with his power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the one who gives not just Paul hope, but us hope. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient not just for Paul, but, Lord, it's sufficient for us. It's enough. Lord, you know the thorns in the flesh in our own lives that we're pleading with you for. And we continue to do that. But we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, whether it's spectacular grace or sustaining grace. Lord, we'll take it whatever it is. And Lord, we want your power to be displayed because we don't have any. So we pray you would do that for your glory. Lord, I pray you minister to this congregation, both here and at the Shaw campus, those that are online. Lord, you know the things of people's hearts today. You know what people came in with or are sitting at home with. And I pray you continue to minister and heal, Lord. Continue to pour out your spirit on them so that they would rise up as a testimony of the sufficiency of your grace. Lord, all this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.